0: Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC. Squawk on
1: the Street.
3: Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Kington and with David Faber and Mike Santoli. Kramer has the morning off. Futures with the move higher here today as producer prices for October come in cool, unchanged month on month, ten year below that's fifty day moving average. Dollar trends getting crunched. Oil below eighty five. Our roadmap begins with some new signs of easing inflation. Wholesale prices rising less than expected, and futures do point to a sharply higher open.
0: Plus uh, retail, we're going to keep a focus on that. Walmart raises its outlook. Its inventory. Growth that receives big comp store sales numbers, topped expectations.
2: And Charlie Munger slams crypto, again, calling it a bad combination of fraud and delusion.
3: Let's begin with that cooler-than-expected wholesale inflation data. A Core PPI zero, we were looking for three-tenths year-on-year at six seven. Prior was 7.2, and the estimate was 7.2 as well. Got some evidence of deflation in services, PMI?
2: Yep, just pushing uh, further in the direction of at least encouraging people to entertain the idea of peak inflation, peak yields, peak dollar, peak Fed. That's the bull case, combined with incredibly defensive and negative sentiment and positioning, which we saw again today in the the B of A global fund manager survey. The disclaimer is producer price index is typically not a big market mover. It's a little bit of a different mix of things you're measuring relative to PCE, which the Fed is anchored on. Uh, And of course, The Fed doesn't necessarily want to see the markets celebrate prematurely and get overexcited. That being said, it feeds on this process where we've had a really good bottom at the CPI release October 13th. Up significantly from there, people have kind of grudgingly played along. You got the burst higher last week as well. Everyone knows about seasonality after midterm elections. And so it's getting the the market up to a place where it's going to get to its next expected test. That would be 40.75 on the S&P. It's just above where we might open right here. That's the 200-day average. That's where we topped out in mid-August.
3: Uh, your point about uh, PPI not being as much of a mover as, uh, as consumer inflation, is that why peak Fed funds hasn't really budged today? Yeah, it seems
2: as if the market's gotten the message that the Fed's not going to really toggle very much on where it's headed with Fed funds. Maybe the pace is going to be up for some debate. Um, but it's much more about what comes after that and whether the economy can handle it, because you're also seeing some firming in economic activity this quarter. And not to say, oh, the soft landing is in the bag, but it's something other than a, a, a direct kind of expressed descent toward recession. You still have a badly inverted Treasury yield curve. The three month is vastly higher than the, the 10 year. That's often a, a precursor to a recession. In fact, it's been a a pretty much an uh, unerring one in, uh, in, in the past. So a um, lot of back and forth on exactly how to interpret this. But again, with the market, by the way, the s and is flat on a six-month basis right now. Where it's going to open, flat on a six-month basis. Six months ago, the two-year was at two and and a half, 10-year was under three, Fed funds under one. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That we can kind of take the punishment or that the market is mistaken that things are going to turn out okay? Yep.
3: We'll see. Uh, a lot of discussion. We'll get to Walmart and uh, and Home Depot, David, but uh, some commentary within Walmart that they, they are working hard to bring prices down, as they always say, but in this case, in the context of high inflation.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Going through the script right now, of course, the call was at 8 o'clock. And if you're just joining us, Walmart shares are going to be up at least at the open 27 minutes or so from now, uh, based in part on very strong Comp store sales numbers year over year. We're talking, what, uh, 8.2% in the US, 17.4% when you take it over a two-year period. And you can see, talking almost a 7% rise. Taking a look at uh, Doug McMillan's script here from uh, the 8 o'clock call, you know, talking, of course, about uh, it being a good quarter, uh, strong results uh, on the top line across their segments, and that value proposition that Carl just mentioned, of course, being key saying customers that came to us less frequently in the past are now shopping with us more often, including higher income uh, customers. And uh, they say, of course, they're being thoughtful and balanced about inventory levels by category and expense. Also pointed out that 13% of total sales as a company now start in a digital fashion. Doesn't mean they get delivered that way. Remember, people will go to the store to pick things up, but 13% of sales start in that way. Uh, Mike, inventory, of course, been an important component overall uh, for much of retail. We'll get to Home Depot as well. But here, clearly managing it well and saying, I think it's interesting talking about a high income customer because, you know, I'd been hearing anecdotally some negative things about about the consumer. you do wonder, well, were they trading down to Walmart?
2: Exactly. And, you know, it's gotten the stock back to where it was in mid-May where it had that huge drop, it was warning, it was the inventory issues, everything came to to a head at that point. You've clawed back. Um, I mean, historically, Walmart as a company and as a stock is kind of, you know, your your wartime conciliary. When times get tough, it does better because it does gain market share. They said they gain market share, say, in grocery. Um, Also, you know, they're always buying back stock. But they add a $20 billion buyback. And I think what's significant when you think about Walmart and buybacks, it's like, a, let's say, a under $400 billion market cap right now. The Walton family owns almost 50%. Uh, th- uh,
0: it's so f- it, I love that you you and I think similarly. Walton Enterprises, I just looked, as of the end of September, or let's call it uh, uh, September 9th, 37% for Walter and Walton Enterprises. And the Walton family at 10.4%. So you add that up, you right. get to 47 0.4% of Walmart shares are controlled
2: by the Waltons. And what that means is the $20 billion in share repurchase is being applied to only 52% of the market cap because they're not selling the stock into it. So that's why it, it, it matters because they really do shrink the, the float. And, you know, it's, it's a piece of the story that's been there for a very long time. Obviously, uh, top line and, and margins matter a lot more, but that's something that's, that's been part of the story. It's why Walmart manages to hold its valuation.
0: Um, Carl, Home Depot, obviously also a feature this morning as well uh, in terms of the numbers there. It may be that investors are not quite as encouraged given the guidance at Home Depot did not change per se. And there had been a hope perhaps particularly on the what looked to be pretty decent numbers that that might be the case.
3: Yeah, uh, Home Depot is a little bit different. Inventories uh, were elevated on a quarter-on-quarter basis, up 25, whereas they were up only 12.7 at Walmart. Also at Home Depot, you had price up nine, but transaction down four, whereas with Walmart, you had both ticket and transaction higher. Also, one of the silver linings on Walmart's print is uh, OPEX as a percentage of net sales down 75 basis points. We saw the Amazon layoffs yesterday. And of course, there's sort of lingering uh, questions about well, okay, what other giant retailer needs to rein in expenses or maybe headcount?
2: Yeah, exactly. The the, the margin, I mean, somewhat obscured by the, the you know the opioid charge, but really below the surface, what they can control is is obviously uh, helping them on the margin side. And by the way, I mean that's the PPI story as well to some degree. Um, companies did what they could on on prices, now, margins in general. You know, you look across the uh, S and P. They're tightening up, and they're coming off peak levels, but in a controlled way. It's not. It's not that they're uh, immediately buckling. So uh, Walmart, obviously, doing what it's it's managed to do for a long time, which also, is preserve those margins.
3: You know, we, you know, it's hard. It's hard to put the the pandemic into context, but on a three-year stack, Home Depot comps up 37. Yeah. On a three-year stack, Walmart's uh, comps up 26. Yeah. I mean, the world of shopping changed in the last three years.
2: The entire top line of the economy got so big, so fast because of stimulus and inflation that I think you're capturing a lot of that. Even, I mean, I know it's not that huge a part of the mix, but Sam's Club had great comps on that on that time period as well. So, yeah, I, I think that there's there's been this sense out there that there has to be a payback for that. On the good side, you're seeing people overconsumed during the pandemic. But in absolute dollars, it's not really declining very much for the biggest players. And I think that's one of the the themes, too, is investors kind of migrating back to the core, uh, to the to the bigger franchises. We'll see what it means for, you know, for Target tomorrow as
0: well. Walmart, of course, continues to be the largest grocer in the uh, in the country as well. Something to keep in mind. Uh, and they do point out that three-quarters of the share gain that they received in that area came from uh, uh, households that exceeded $100,000 in annual income. Again, continuing to gain share, they say, uh, in the grocery market. Um, and also noting that private brands um, was up about 130 basis points. And they do say reflecting, of course, consumers looking to you know for value in what we know is a very inflationary period still
3: kind of takes me back to yesterday and the Morgan Stanley note that looking at excess savings now concentrated in the top 20 percent. Exactly. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's still there. In aggregate, there is still a buffer. Um, And also, you know, people keep kind of raising these alarms about consumer credit going up, people accessing more credit. There's no doubt it's true. People are trying to bridge. But if you just looked at the trend pre and post pandemic, all that's happening is it's rising back to exactly what that long-term trend line would be in terms of consumer balances, uh, either in absolute terms or as a percentage of the economy. So that's the tricky part about saying, uh, well, recession's a slam dunk. I mean, consumer discretionary stocks have already struggled. It's not as if people think the consumer uh, is necessarily going to be refreshed going into next year. But um, just because of incomes being okay and unemployment's at uh, 3.5%, it's not as if you're really seeing the the pie shrink very quickly.
3: So all of this brings me back to a note Goldman had yesterday where they argued that at this point, one should not dismiss the change. And that is that the market needs to view inflation as a force that can now surprise to the downside. Right. Right. We're seeing examples of that last week and this week. But that if you're going to be meaningfully bullish, you need to have the over on either 18 times or 225 for next year. Right. And that's why a lot of these firms are still saying sell into strength in Q1.
2: Exactly. That completely holds up in terms of how the math goes. Um, Now, 18 times is not necessarily a massive challenge. And this sounds ridiculous, but if people think 24 is higher than 23, right? So that's where we get to within about six months. It's not so much, oh, what am I paying for today's earnings? It goes beyond that. But I agree that the market does seem capped based on the uncertainty of how much are people going to pay up in aggregate for earnings? Um, we still haven't seen probably all the estimate cuts co- come through for next year, and you know, what's the what's the Fed's path really here? Because you can't declare victory yet. Well,
0: I still so, got I still got uh, you know plenty of fund managers who believe we're going to be closer to 200 on S&P right. earnings than 225. Absolutely. Uh, and still don't believe that the demand destruction has fully taken place and that we haven't yet seen it. Now, they may well end up being wrong. Yes. They're the same ones who are happy to send you the list of all those huge rallies that took place during terrible bear markets only to revisit the bottom or go
2: lower. 100%. And by the way, that's why cash levels among fund managers is at a multi-decade high as we saw with uh, the B of A survey today. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, cash pays you something. So there is a little bit of a hurdle rate. I could put my money away in six-month bills or something and get 4%. And, you know, what stocks am I getting, you know, an 8% annualized on from here. So obviously that equation restrains risk appetites, restrains the ability of the market to go crazy. But we also have to be careful about talking about the S&P is one big blob as I do constantly because (laughs) the top is still much more expensive, meaning the biggest stocks are much more expensive than the average and probably has seen the estimates come down not as much as the average stock.
3: We'll talk a bit about the fund manager survey uh, and sort of the stagflationary view, certainly coming off of yesterday's New York Fed data looking at inflation expectations. We'll get to the latest on FTX today, uh, plus what Charlie Munger is now saying about crypto. Great interview this morning with our Becky Quick. Take a look at the pre-market. Once again, futures reflecting not just the PPI data, but some of the retail data that we're getting, which is going to continue through the course of the week. A lot more Squawk on the Street continues in a moment.
4: Let's get straight to the point.
0: Sam Bankman-Fried speaking out yet again about the collapse of his company FTX and the rest of his crypto empire. This time it was an interview with The New York Times in which he said he expanded too fast and failed to see warning signs, adding, quote, had I been a bit more concentrated, and here I think he means more focused, uh, on what I was doing, I would have been able to be more thorough, would have allowed me to catch what was going on, on the risk side, yes. If only we'd been more focused. I say that about myself too. Sometimes I wish I'd focused. One uh, would have thought he might have been a, perhaps a bit more focused on the risk side. Uh, new filing from the company in terms of the bankruptcy, of course, kind of detailing the changes that have happened, including Mr. Bankman-Fried being pushed aside. They have a restructuring expert now in charge. But this is going to be long and complicated, as you do take a look at a bit of a bounce in the FTT, FT, uh, so to speak, the FTX token at the center of many of the losses that took place here. Um, and many on the street just trying to figure out as best they can, without a real adequate accounting at this point, you know, how much was there on the liability side in terms of the customer accounts? Somebody I respect went through, I won't share their name, $16 billion is what they're estimating, $5 billion may have been withdrawn pre-filing. Uh, and will not get clawed back. That leaves about 10 to 11 billion of customer accounts that were not withdrawn. And then you're gonna have a call claims pool of 10 to 13 billion, that's vendor claims. You have all sorts of stuff. You know, you try and figure out, Mike, what is your ultimate recovery gonna be here? It's not looking that good. Maybe 10 to 20 cents. Again, these are early, early estimates, and so I don't wanna make much of them. There's so much we don't know. It's so deeply complex. Spreading around the globe and dealing with an underlying currency, so to speak, that is going to be
2: incredibly volatile I was gonna say what what will determine, you know, whether in fact that goes up or down? I mean, is it literally still in the coins? I that's think, yeah
0: the, I think some of it is. Yes, yes that's all right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and so that makes it even more difficult and it's Various coins, so it will be in part based on the moves of the market itself yeah. And then I you know I, Car you go back to some of the investors at FTX, who've all lost everything, of course, at this point, Um, whether it's Sequoia or Toma Bravo or BlackRock or Third Point, on and on. And what level of due diligence they actually conducted here for a company that, of course, we've all learned subsequently didn't even have a board of directors.
3: Or or know where their own leverage was situated. Uh, Your point about the fallout just beginning, uh, the journal piece on Alameda trading tokens that were about to get listed... Um Visa pulling their debit card packed, Citron with the fresh uh, short thesis, especially on ether, and then Munger talking to Becky earlier this morning, just overall renewing his long-standing criticism of crypto.
5: I think the authorities' have been confused by the whole damn thing. A bunch of elderly people and they've done things a certain way for a long time. They know how to deal with a standard, Thing. It's like a mosquito catcher. They know how to smack, smack mosquitoes. They just can't handle gnats. They slip through the net. The regulators have behaved just—it's just insane to none of this stuff has ever have been allowed.
6: What do you think the holdup is? Because when I look at it, it seems like it's a big turf war,
4: turf battle it, between it, the it SEC and the
5: CFTC. It doesn't fit into existing. Of course it's hard. Of course it's hard for the regulators to do for to deal with a new a new activity. We got, the whole internet was new and so the, the this whole business is new. But the danger flags are wagging so clearly. The guy says, I'm gonna sell you a Plenty of nothing, and nothing is for you. You know, it, it isn't. How can you hear that? I think this is a big joke. But people think this is a real asset. It's not a real asset.
3: Of course, Munger once said he called it trading turds, uh, in his view, at one of the recent Berkshire meetings. And back then... Even Buffett talked specifically about exchanges yes. and people of less than stellar character who were trying to clip those, trying to get rich because their neighbor was getting rich. Well,
2: one of the things that is absolutely going to happen from this point on, and probably should have happened earlier, is to know what we're talking about when we say exchanges. Mm-hmm. On you know, in crypto, they really were not exchanges. They were they were dealers. They were private dealers. You had your money on deposit there, right? Attached to a market maker in a variety of coins. But exchange implies something very different, like kind of a a neutral venue where you kind of know where the money's coming and going and a clearing process and all the rest. So, um, I mean, you know, one of the interesting takeaways, too, the people who are believers in the core premises of crypto is that, well, this shows you be truly decentralized, you know, just hold it in your head or on your zip drive or wherever right. you want to hold it as opposed to you know the popularization of coins that came through these sort of branded quasi exchanges and the question is what would the what would the coins ever have gotten to in price if you didn't have those fronts and those produ- those promoters trying to stoke interest in it to stoke it easy interest for people in all of their coins yeah deposit your money yeah I mean, there's no doubt this would have benefited from a great
0: deal of potential regulation. At the same time, we would point out that if there is fraud, that it is proved fraud, that, that evades regulators as well. They come late sure. to that, too. As we've said many times, as I always quote Henry Silverman, fraud by its very nature is hard to detect. So you can't expect the regulators would have known it was fraud. However, if there had been a much higher level of regulation, would there not have been able to have been to begin with as many investors were taking yeah. advantage of
3: When we come back, we'll talk about Buffett's other bet that is lighting a fire under one of the chip names this morning as we work our way through some of these 13 Fs. Take a look at futures just off of session highs. Squawk on the street is back when we return.
5: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
3: Bunch of moving pieces today. There's a look at futures, but the 10-year cracks below 38 That's about a half a point below its recent high. Dollar trend uh, below the 50-day moving average. First time since August. That's about a three-month low. Uh, VIX also uh, depressed today, below 24. We'll get to all of it and the opening bell in five minutes. We weren't sure if he was going to make it in after last night, (laughs) but he did. Jim Cramer joins us, I hope, for the rest of the hour. Of
1: course. You kidding me? (laughs) You know why? Because I've always loved the Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> They've always been my second team.
3: Oh, my gosh.
0: Well, um, let's
1: get beyond it at that yeah, point. Yeah. That's all
0: we have to say, right, David? Yes, I will not. Uh, you didn't your, your team's still, what, 8-1, and 9-1? Oh,
1: and right, one? I to yeah. sure I heard somebody talk about fraud, and I figured it might be you talking about the Eagles. It's not true.
0: No, I don't believe that either. All right. You've got a hell of a season ahead of you. Not to worry, even if you did spend your entire day completely worthlessly at night, <laughs> you know, watching them lose. At least you're here this morning. What's on your mind, Jim? We're going well, to talk about Taiwan Semi a bit and some of these filings from Warren okay, Buffett. Okay, so
1: what seems to be that we've decided whoever's buying things is right, as we thought that whoever was selling things yesterday was right. And we got to get beyond that. Taiwan Semi is not doing well, in part because it's got a vulnerability. So I think people are saying, you know what, maybe President Xi dealt with President Biden, maybe it is a little less dangerous. So David, I mean, because it's kind of like turning into a mad dash, good timing by Buffett.
0: Yeah, not bad, 4.1 billion is the number there that they bought during the third quarter. Of course, we saw a lot of these filings yesterday. We'll talk more about some of the other names as well um, that uh, that Berkshire bought, including increasing that stake in Paramount. but so you're not a you're not a believer then.
1: Not a not a no. no. I mean, let's get some orders. Let's have better than expected orders. And forget whether Buffett bought something. Look, we know my yeah. Buffett has got a halo, and that's great. But that doesn't make the fundamentals better.
2: You know, it's, it's, he'll tell you he's not trying to time anything, and he's proving that, because he's not necessarily
5: getting
2: in the law. is a great example. Of that. Although, I find Taiwan something interesting in the sense that there's only a couple of these things in the world, it's very core infrastructure, it fits with some of the other things he looks at, but doesn't mean
1: it's up from here. No, you're right. I mean, global failures did not have a great corner, and it went up anyway, because people feel scarcity value. Now, Carl, when I look at all these stocks, what I say to myself is, someone got it very wrong, thinking that PPI would be bad. They got trapped. We started reading that it was a strategy that went value, back, that backfired, it was only one, a two-day wonder. No, what's happened is we do have a pattern in inflation, and the pattern is different from what we thought.
3: Uh, Well, certainly with that open right there, by the way, at the big board today, uh, investment firm Franklin Templeton celebrating its 75th anniversary at the NASDAQ, its Agba Group, a wealth management and fintech platform celebrating a listing via SPAC. But at 4020, Jim, that's going to almost recoup the beginning of the spill that we took in mid-September.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think there was a sense that the guys who were saying, you know what, it's going to go up and it's bouncing. It's over. And now they're going to have to rethink. Now, why would they have to rethink? Because when you get a situation like a Walmart, which decides to buy back, that's different from Buffett. That's real capital. David, how about this theory? The theory is that the holiday season, at least for Walmart, will be better than expected. Now, it puts pressure on target. Mm -hmm. Because we know that someone is—we've not been able to see both of them do well. We've not been able to see Home Depot and Lowe's do well. But one thing we have to know is that there was a special many, many years ago about the age of Walmart, I think it was. And even though you haven't been down there in a long time, it matters.
0: It does. Uh, I would point out, guys, you know, grocery was where they had in particular strength. Not that there wasn't strength across the board. You're seeing the reaction in the stock market this morning to those 8.2% U.S. comp store sales numbers year over year. But... Uh, it, it, it does appear that when it comes to, you know, food and consumables growth, it outpaced general merchandise, and that is something to keep an eye on there, Well, uh, because it, they said that they actually saw higher income people um, adding to their growing share of the grocery market in the country. They saw some consumers trading. Down, so to speak, to private label brands right. at Walmart, but grocery definitely was the engine here to a certain extent. Well,
1: David, think about yesterday. Um, yesterday, and- the story was that if there was big grocery, there couldn't be big buy of everything else. False narrative. Again, false narrative. Maybe true for Target, but false narrative for Walmart.
0: General merchandise sales declined low single digits with softness in electronics, home, and apparel. And so, Jim, remember, I had, you know, because I've been hearing there might be some weakness, the consumer's getting weak. Obviously, that doesn't seem reflected in these numbers, but you do need to sort of look a bit deeper here because it is an interesting mix in terms of real strength in grocery and not quite as much when it comes to electronics, home, and apparel. Apparel in certain categories, they say, are the heavy categories. We'll continue to work through those. And a reminder, we said at the beginning of Q1, we need a couple
1: quarters to work through the inventory in apparel. Well, that could make it tough for Target, if that's the case. I mean, Carl, when I think about Target, yes, I go food shopping there. But in the end, it's apparel. And if Walmart says there's too much apparel...
3: Well, we talked about inventory in the A Block. They have brought it down sequentially for two quarters now. I don't know if you saw, I've been getting tons of... 50% 50% off from Domino's Pizza. There's a piece on Bloomberg yes. about the Apple MacBook yes. discounting. Uh, promotions are here. They're here.
1: They are definitely here. And I think that there are a lot of people who believe, no matter what, that housing slowing means that you don't put more money in your house. Now, Michael, One of the things that we've learned is is that we're supposed to say if they're not buying or selling new houses, they're renovating. Right. I don't know if that's another false snare.
2: Yeah, it doesn't seem as if there's a big push. There's no, you know, refi activity that would kind of support a lot of that. It just doesn't seem like it's uh, either cheap enough or in the right spot in the cycle for that type of thing to to take hold. Although what's interesting is how
1: the home builders themselves refuse to go back to the lows from June. And Home Depot, despite what we hear, won't go down, in part because what goes down is tech. Yeah. And I don't know whether Amazon can stay up. Carl, one of the things that I think has been most bothersome to people is everything involved with the home. I mean, Lenore has been the star. Well, you're not supposed to buy Lenore into a tightening cycle, other than if you think the tightening cycle's about to end. <laughs> and is it? <laughs> well, when you get a PPI this cool, then people are gonna say, you know what, a second PPI is going to be able to make it so that the Brainerd's Brainard's Story is right, and if Laleh Brander's story is right, can you really wait? Can you wait?
2: Well, and the other part of it is, yeah, whatever the Fed does, the ten years down where it is, right, and that's going to have a pull on mortgage rates. So,
1: if you've topped in mortgage rates, even if they're not going down much, who knows? How about the fact that the street, the research, which is heavily biased for the idea that there's no way you can break through, David? How about if the street is incorrect? And there's just a lot of money looking for a few stocks, no new, no IPOs. So, Eddie, would you think that there's a possibility that there could be enough money that's shifting out of crypto? Or is crypto chimerical, and there really isn't that kind of money coming from Solana? Do we still have the Solana bug to the right? (laughs) And I want to know why we don't have, what, chain link fence? What was the other, what is that called? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what
0: serum was. Yeah. Or, like, two, I had 2.2 billion is serum. It was only worth 65 million, but hey.
1: Well, you know, how much, but, how but much not- was waged in Powerball in the end? 1.8. 1.8. Okay. Solana, Powerball. Why don't put the Powerball bug on it? That there's still money left. Let's get it started. Because you know what? That's more honest, it's regulated. It's not DeFi. I know you like DeFi. Oh, uh, you know me. De- I love DeFi. DeFi. What we want is, I mean, the idea that governments regulate something, suddenly people are saying, huh, you know, that does lend some appeal. Except for the people who come on and they're really angry and they say you're stupid. Like a lot of these people, like they'll, they'll call me. I don't know how they got better. They'll call me. They say, listen, you're really stupid. Don't you understand that Solana is the future? <laughs> Solana. <laughs> Who created Solana, I, do, I don't know anything about Solana. Hair Solana? <laughs> I don't
0: know anything about Solana. Well, I want Solana um, every minute. I, I do know that we are having quite a rally this morning with the Nasdaq up 2.4%. Obviously, we're only seven minutes into trading. Amazon, one of the leaders. We talked a bit about it yesterday. I know you guys, uh, when that news came out from the New York Times, sort of detailing the expectations in terms of uh, the job cuts. As many as 10,000 jobs, roughly 3% of the workforce overall. By the way, compare that to the 13% of the workforce at Meta that we heard about only last week. Gives you a little sense there. And remember, Amazon hired 800,000 people. That's right, 800,000 people from the end of 2019
6: to the end of 2021.
0: Most of them to work in warehouses. Uh, But nonetheless, the
1: market likes layoffs, Jim. And Meta is really incredible because what, what they're saying there, clearly, is it's the beginning of the layoffs. That they don't need as many people in Insta. Maybe they've conquered Reels. Maybe that's a TikTok defeat. I don't know. I know that Reels is giving you a very good ROI. Maybe they'll take some advertisers from Twitter. Well,
3: Speaking of all that, watching that, uh, that full screen of uh, some media names, Netflix had a yeah. seven month high today as uh, B of A double upgrade, uh, Jessica Reef. Uh, Erlick going to cover as they reinstate coverage, and I know J- David, you've been watching Zaslov's comments from Warner Brothers Discovery this morning. Yeah, he's
0: been speaking, I think, in an RBC conference. Really, not that much to share. Ad markets still weak would be the hi- would be the sort of the highlight there, and then going on, of course, as he, as is typical in terms of about the strength he sees at the company and reassuring people in any number of ways. But uh, it would be sort of the ad market weakness, I think, that would be the headline. But David, how
1: about the slate? You tell me, how about the slate? What do well, we got coming? I mean, you've got, DC is gonna be monetized. Yes. If that's monetized like like Marvel, well then, don't you dare. I'm not,
0: I'm not, I'm, not,
1: I'm good. Yeah, yeah, you got it, what
0: else you got for me? Well, if I they, think they, Listen, if they can make DC what Marvel was, then obviously that would be a all. very they've significant engine. That's all, they've got a good engine. team.
1: They've got a team who's capable of doing that. Yep. They do have a lot of characters that we do like. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time that you saw Superman? How about Lex Luthor?
0: I miss Lex Luthor. Well, you could have your... The Hackman version.
1: Yeah. Well, I
0: guess there was only one version, right? They didn't (laughs) bring him back. He's
3: the definitive. He He is Lex Luthor. The best.
0: Uh, And Ned Beatty was pretty good there, too, as a sidekick.
1: I thought it was Um, weird that they said they sent mixed signals in NBA because, you know, they had 10 games and the numbers were up more than 20%.
0: I would point out I'm going to spend some time with John Malone. Uh, He and I are going to be doing our interview largest shareholder, uh, one of the largest shareholders in Discovery, so we will be talking, you might imagine, about that. Uh, As for that Netflix upgrade, they like Avod, Carl. That's what they the ad-supported part of Netflix, they believe, will be significantly accretive.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, Netflix already succeeded with that because it changed the entire conversation and orientation. Analysts can look at it. It's a business starting from zero to something, and they're getting enthusiastic about, you know, how it could take hold. Um, You get away from the treadmill of how many subs this quarter versus last a little bit, and um, you know, so I think that that makes sense. Now, Netflix has almost doubled off the low.
1: Wow. It's up 90% off the low. And people are very excited. Once again, they're excited. On those last three calls, it was like, hey, you guys got anything? No, we got nothing to watch. In that last call, they had about a half dozen things they want to watch. I posit, I posit. Is the Disney move up to a false tell? Because, you know, Disney's still run by the same people. Isn't it? Uh, Every day. Every day. It's a a daily assurance. Even when he he shows up 25 minutes late, he still manages to get it in. Well, I don't know. They have no right. They can't stop the run. Disney cannot stop the run.
0: Um, Okay, fair enough. As Even for,
1: Paramount's up today. Yes. Well, so everything's
0: up. Thank you, Mike. That's a good way to. Well, talk that's because
1: there's rumors of takeovers. We yes. know the rumors. David can deny them. I figure I that know. if I were if I were really time, uh, Warner Brothers, I would just buy back the middle debt. You, you know, want
0: the, if you're the, your Warner Brothers Discovery? Yeah, your, your debt's trading at significant discounts, so its face value You may see an opportunity there. Although you want to make sure you have as much free cash flow as you can as well, because you do need to meet investors demands I mean, and you tell me concerns. you know, they
1: can't make the better than nine i think they may need die? to make a
0: decision there as to where their be- cash is best used but if you can buy up a bunch of your debt at a significant discount you may want to do it as for paramount guys it's part of the Buffett purchases they bought another over at berkshire another um well they own 68.9 million shares now they own 91 million the bad news is this st- Originally, when they bought the stake, it was worth 2.6 billion dollars. That was back in May. Right. Now it's only worth 1.7 billion, even with the addition of 20 odd million shares. And they also bought tiny, tiny stake yeah. in, in Jefferies. Maybe it's the beginning because it literally is a rounding well, error. Um, yeah. The two companies have do know each other. They have a joint venture. That they have they've a commercial real estate years.
2: lending venture. It's yeah. used to be the old GM. Right, commercial lending business. But,
0: um, but one hundred thirty-three thousand shares, Mike, is not. I mean, I thought was this a mistake? Yeah, right. But perhaps it's just the beginning of a larger uh, ownership. Stake yeah, because Jeffries
2: has, over the last few years, has kind of shed what was left of the old Lucadia, the right. merchant bank stuff, the private equity style stuff. So yeah, now it's a much uh, more pure like play the, on the one of the few kind of mid-market investment banks yeah. of that type, the capital markets business.
0: Um, and on Paramount, I would just point out uh, Buffett. Buffett, Berkshire, because it's Berkshire. Not clear to me that it's Buffett behind this, right. uh, is I think a larger shareholder than Sherry Redstone. Uh, wow. National not vote, let's not forget, right? You, you, know, you have economics and vote, very different. But as for just economics, yeah.
1: Is there an out here, is there a way with antitrust, NFTC the way they are, for that company to be su- swallowed by someone? It's not a big company anymore.
0: No, it's it's a small company. Uh, And it has been thought that it might make sense for our parent company to merge NBC Universal and and, uh, Paramount together. The studios together, of course, could create a great deal of synergy. You'd have to figure out something with CBS, probably the O&O's, there's overlaps. There's always the question of regulatory, but then there's also the question of um, control and governance and a desire on the part of the Roberts family to continue to have control, even if they were to do an NBCU spin of some kind at some point to create more uh, scale, wanting control, and Sherry Redstone's unwillingness to potentially give up control. So it becomes a very difficult deal to do. And then the question is, well, there are other deals for Paramount to potentially embrace? I don't know, does Netflix want to buy them? You tell me, Jim.
1: Well, I do know that, uh, I don't want to speak too much opine about our parent company, But I think it's largely thought to not have enough uh, content, right scale
0: is important in right. this area. That said, back to Netflix and the conversation we've had many times, I'm not sure the decision making, Mike, would have been the same if Netflix's multiple were its current multiple as opposed to what it was garnering five years ago or six years ago when all of these plans to create giant direct-to-consumer businesses right. were put in place. Exactly. Yeah. That's what encouraged it. Everyone's like looking at that Netflix multiple and going, well, we got to do well, that. Well, it
2: encouraged it, but it also said, well, the market's telling us that we're dinosaurs yes. because look at the capitalization of this thing that wants mm-hmm. to kill us. Or Uh, is dominating the eyeball. So, absolutely, and now it's sort of profitless prosperity around the, you know, everyone's got uh, a huge slate and lots of, or enough subs, and people have too many subscriptions. Right. But the market is going back to, again, the incumbent, which is Netflix, or it's going back to Tesla as opposed to the the fringe EVs.
1: But does Netflix have, how many characters do they have? How much can they really monetize versus other companies that have characters? David, you nod knowingly.
2: No, that's an
0: interesting point. It's like point. the new basic cable. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. And that's why wow. everything's becoming that. I, I mean, we right, we've talked about it. Everything's going to be ad-supported soon enough. And so, oh, gee, that's interesting. I've got a stable of ad-supported direct-to-consumer things that I go... What does that remind me of? And what am I paying? Is that any really different than what I was paying for my cable subscription? I'm
3: glad you brought up Tesla, though, because uh, really quick, Adam oh, Jonas Adam today at yeah. Morgan Stanley raises the possibility that sentiment around Tesla is shifting because of Elon's involvement in Twitter, it says it could retest 150 by year end, Jim.
1: Well, uh, look, I've got to tell you that that there was a comment by, uh, by Musk on Twitter saying that, frankly, um, that there's been encouraging damage. And if there's encouraging data, then you start thinking, wait a second, why should he continue to? Was that a a subtle hint that he's done selling any Tesla? Which in that case, wow.
0: I do wonder about the the man's ability to simply focus, I mean, how you you deal with trying to um, put Twitter's business on firm ground, when it doesn't seem to be at all right now, at the same time running Tesla, Running SpaceX, overseeing the Boring Company, Neuralink, and then you also find time to read the New York Times story on Sam Bankman-Fried and tweet and say I didn't like it. Carl, I mean, I don't know. Like, where did he, he did? What's say, he doing?
3: Why the puff piece? Why yeah. the puff story? New York Times last night. Um, maybe he gets more than 24 hours, more than the rest of us right. get in a day. He's, yeah, kind well, of like Mozart. He, huh? Yeah. He, I wonder if he sleeps less than you do.
1: No, it's actually not possible. <laughs>
3: Uh, we got uh, two and a quarter percent gains on the NASDAQ as we're close to holding 4020 S&P. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Morning, Bob. Uh,
6: off of the highs, but we're uh, over 4000 on the S&P. That's a, a two month high A PPI. Uh, a little lighter than expected, good report from Walmart and a good report from Home Depot to a lesser extent. Uh, those are the three things really fueling the markets right now. Take a look at the sectors. And again, you want to look at the risk on stuff. Kathy uh, Wood's uh, uh, ARC fund doing well today. Uh, transport's are really doing well in the last few days uh, overall. We're seeing uh, uh, semiconductors do well on top of that. Uh, and of course, uh, the Chinese stock, KWEB, also really doing well recently and uh uh, that's the last several days, actually. All of those sectors have really been on fire. Uh, in terms of uh, what's been moving here, uh, it's great to see. And there you see the moves up uh, for arc Innovation, Uh, and Van Semi and the Dow Transports. Uh, In terms of uh, the earnings today, I thought it was very interesting, Walmart's report. These comp numbers, 8.2%. Wow, that is way above the consensus. It was close to 3%. So the prices were up 6%. And that's the most impressive thing is the transactions up 2%. So it's not just inflation. Everybody likes to dismiss these reports. Not quite as great over at Home Depot. The comp sales, uh, only half of what Walmart was, 4%. Prices up 8 percent and transactions. So here you see the more the, the cynics say, well, this is all prices and the transactions aren't great. So uh, that may be one reason we're seeing such a great move in Walmart here. That's 70 points in the Dow right now. Home Depot flat. It They didn't really change their guidance. Home Depot at all. Uh, so that may be another reason, a little bit of disappointment. But a great report from Home Depot. I think the important thing for this PPI is inflation starting to move in the right direction. And if that's the case, the key story is earnings may not be collapsing at all. So remember there are people out there a month ago predicting earnings would be down twenty percent uh, for uh, for twenty twenty-three. Right now, Earnings for the fourth quarter are down slightly. They've been coming down, particularly tech and communication services. 2023, about 4%, 4 4.9% or so. If you put up that full screen, you'll see uh, that's been coming down, but not negative. So we may not need to bring down earnings into negative territory if the inflation numbers keep going in the right direction. That's one of the reasons the market is continuing to rally. There is still, though, a lot of bearish sentiment out there. I mean, a lot. The the fund manager, the Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey came out, Carl, today. Recession likely next uh, uh, 12 months, 77 percent. Profits will be lower, 77 percent. Stagflation, 92 percent believe it's going to happen in the next 12 months. So basically, everybody's underweight stocks. They're overweight cash dramatically. uh, And the most crowded trade is the long dollar out there. The only good news, Carl, here is to the extent that inflation is the great concern here. The recent inflation reports, these recent ones, the PPI and CPI, uh, may help improve the the consumer sentiment. Uh, fairly quickly and the investor sentiment.
3: Carl, back to you. Yeah, Uh, Gasoline futures, uh, lowest uh, in a while, too, this morning, Bob. Thank you, uh, Bob Pisani. As we go to break, let's check bonds. Uh, Off of the session lows, but 10-year, just about 3.82. As Bob said, uh, that PPI number, the fourth straight decline. And that goose egg on core is the lowest in two years, going back to November 2020. Back in a minute. NASDAQ 100 gainers got some Chinese names in there as well. Uh, FXI was up 4% this morning uh, on some China reopening headlines. Also, the foreign minister of China talking about Ukraine, saying they will play a role in putting together perhaps some constructive uh, peace talks in the future. Uh, We'll watch that closely, but some big gains.
1: Back in a moment. Jim, what's on Mad tonight? The West Point Investing Club. And there's nobody like them. They have won and won in one. We've done this contest because they are so rigorous. And it's truly enjoyable, of course, because they're sensational. And we're so glad that they're here to help us.
3: That's very cool. Yeah. We're, glad, we're glad you made it in. Of despite, course. Uh, despite last night's result.
1: Well, I mean, it take, my real commute now has been revealed. Fifty <laughs> minutes, not 15. <laughs> we'll Thank see you, it, guys. Yeah,
3: that was good. Thank we'll you. see you tonight. Mad Money, of course, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to
0: the
4: opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.